Hi everyone and welcome to the Allplane Podcast, where we talk with the movers and shakers that are redefining the future of commercial aviation. As usual, before we start, I would like to remind you that all previous episodes of this podcast, as well as many other aviation stories, are available on the Allplane website. That's allplane.tv. A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E dot TV. Today's guest is someone that knows the airline business inside out. Jay Sorensen has more than three decades of experience in the airline industry and is the founder and CEO of IdeaWorks Company, a consulting firm that advises airlines and travel companies all over the world. He's also known in airline circles because every year he publishes a series of in-depth reports about the state of the airline industry, the IdeaWorks Yearbook of Ancillary Revenue, which Jay's company produces in cooperation with Cartroller, has become a sort of work of reference for all those interested in this aspect of the airline business. IdeaWorks publishes also the annual Big Book of Travel Data, which has a title that is kind of self-explanatory. So I invited Jay to the podcast for a conversation in particular about airline ancillaries, because at a time when many full-service airlines are embracing some of the a la carte elements that had traditionally been part of the low-cost carriers business model, and also with budget carriers continuously looking for new ways to monetize their passengers, I thought it would be interesting to hear what Jay has to say about this topic. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about trends in airline ancillary revenue, about which ancillaries have become more popular lately, and where there's still a clear boundary in this field between the legacy carriers on one side and the low-cost airlines on the other. And now, without further ado, let me welcome Jay to the podcast. Hello, Jay. How are you? Good morning, Miguel. Good to have you here. I've been following you for a very long time. I think you are one of the people out there that knows the most about the airline business, airline revenue, airline strategy, and an area that I would like to discuss today in in depth, which is ancillaries. First of all, let me just make a quick short introduction about who you are. You are Jay Sorensen. You are the, the founder and the CEO of IdeaWorks Company, which is a consulting firm. You produce research as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and and how you got into the aviation industry? Because I think you've got about 40 years experience and that's very impressive. I'm sure you have uh, lots of interesting knowledge and insights to share here today with our listeners. I never thought I'd have nearly 40 years. Yeah, we're, I'm on 39 years and I started in the, in the airline industry in 1984. It worked for a company actually before that because I was doing I was a volunteer sales rep for a, a tiny little airline in Wisconsin when I was going to school uh, when I was going to college. Uh, but we'll we'll count the paid part of my uh, experience in the airline industry. So I I've been working in the industry since 1984 and uh, spent 12 years uh, with a startup in the in the United States called Midwest Express. And it was a high quality airline and I left there as director of marketing. And it was there that I began to really apply uh, ancillary revenue uh, concepts uh, to my job there. It wasn't, of course, it didn't have that name back then, but I left that airline in 1996 to start the IdeaWorks company consulting firm. And we have a, a mixed bag of activities. Uh, yes, we do research. Uh, we write reports on on behalf of sponsors such as Car Trawler and uh, Allianz Partners, and we also do direct consulting to airlines. And I think that that's a my background in the industry is actually having been an employee at a startup is ever so helpful in the consulting area. Then briefly, that is the areas that we we focus on in terms of what work we do. Yes, we specialize in answering revenue. We have over the course of time really defined that category. 
also loyalty marketing, branding, and just general airline uh, marketing and retail. Okay. What sort of airline was Midwest? Because I think it hasn't been around for a while, isn't it? No, it shut down in the, in the 2000s. And it was a probably one of the most unique airlines that ever flew because it was started by Kimberly Clark Corporation, the people who make Kleenex yeah. and Huggies yeah. diapers. And uh, they ran it as a, they initially had a corporate shuttle and then they said, hey, let's expand it into an airline. And it was a, it was a high quality airline. I've not come across an airline that, that offered a product like this. It was all two by two leather covered seating with meals served on China, gourmet meals. We spent a tremendous amount of money on food and it was really tailored to serve the business traveler. But as we, as the airline grew, it obviously, we needed to pick up uh, leisure uh, components as well. And so people who travel on Midwest Express on a Super Saver fare uh, had an unbelievable experience that was unlike any other. Interesting, because now we are seeing some airlines trying to reintroduce this idea of the, let's say, the premium experience, but without going all the way to the to the private jet. Uh, we've seen recently, I think just a few days ago in, in Bermuda, Bermuda Air, in the Middle East as well, this beyond kind of recovering this idea of the premium experience on an scheduled airline. Anyway, I just wanted to actually take the conversation into another segment of the industry. There's a lot of experimentation with ancillaries. Can you tell us the sort of work you do it at IdeaWorks tracking all these ancillaries? Because you publish every, I think it's every year, a report about ancillary revenue where you track what all the different airlines, well, not all of them, but a very significant number of airlines are doing in the field of ancillaries and, and the main trends. Tell us a bit more about uh, the work you do there. So every spring uh, and at the end of the winter, we begin a process of looking for uh, disclosures online. And we review about 300 different airlines to try to identify financial disclosures that they have made. In, in doing this for, for more than 10 years, we, we also created a new publication. It's the third year we published the big book of, of uh, travel data. And that includes the airline industry, the hotel business, car rentals, and online travel agencies. And that really grew as uh, that became, that was an outgrowth of, of our answer revenue work. But when we look at these 300 airlines, we attempt to identify by looking at financial reports, investor presentations, press releases, whatever we can find, we siphon up all this information and we publish it. And uh, it is a, it's a yearbook of answer revenue uh, for the airline industry. And so we, at the end of September, we're going to release the 2023 edition of it, which uses, uh, which is based upon 2022 financial data. Mm -hmm. We just month in uh, released the uh, 2023 yearbook of travel data. Uh, so it, it, all of these kind of work hand in hand uh, when we spend all this time over the course of the spring uh, scouring uh, the planet uh, for uh, financial disclosures that we can use in either of these two publications. I guess the difficulty here is how you make sense of all these uh, different data, possibly different standards, different ways of looking at things and defining the different products that, that they are offering, basically. So how you how you manage to kind of standardize that? We have a definition on our website of answer revenue, and it has been out. It is it has been in place probably for 15 years, and it uh, fortunately for for me and for IdeaWorks. 
it has become a global standard. It's popped up in any number of different places. It's popped up in investor presentations that airlines give. It's popped up in, uh, it's appeared in, in annual reports. And so there is some uh, standardization in terms of the reporting. And the reporting becomes better with LCCs because they are very, uh, pro, pro, they have pride in what they're doing. And it's a story they want to tell their investors. And so they typically have very robust financial reporting of their ancillary revenue activities. As we leave the, the LCC category and reach into traditional airlines, the reporting is, is far less robust and scant. And so, yes, the, the yearbook, the results are truest, are, are the most accurate at the top end, uh, where airlines are eager to disclose everything they can, notably LCCs and generally the U.S. majors. As we move down the list, less and less is disclosed. And so it is not a complete picture of answer revenue activities for all the airlines. Uh, but it, we put together the best picture we can. You touch upon a very important point that uh, I wanted to bring up. Nowadays, in 2023, how clear is the boundary between the traditional airlines and the low-cost airlines when it comes to the business model? Because when when for the, the low-cost airlines first emerged, uh, there was such a clear distinction. You had all like the all-inclusive airline and then the airline that where you had to pay for every ancillary. But now we are seeing many, at, at least in the short and medium haul, and in Europe for sure, I don't know in, in the US what the situation is, but... We're seeing more and more, let's say, traditional airlines that are stripping their their short and medium haul product of all the, let's say, all the extras and offering something that it's quite similar to what the low cost airlines are offering. How do you see this, let's say, this categorization of the airline industry? Does it still make sense? Well, you know, people in the industry um, laugh uh, sometimes um, at the at the phrase low cost carriers, and it's something that is applied, I think far too frequently. Uh, I think in many cases, uh, some of these airlines are not low cost carriers, they are low fare airlines, meaning that they are charging low fares, but they don't have the low cost basis to support uh, that activity. Prior to the pandemic, there was an interesting trend that was occurring, and that was low cost carriers were reaching up to try to grab more business travelers. And they were doing this through uh, improved product improvement and tailoring products that would appeal to business travelers. Likewise, there was a move, courtesy of basic economy fares, by traditional or network global network airlines to reach down and to try to uh, attract more low-cost passengers uh, through products such as unbundling the unbundling of their product. And I think the pandemic created a pretty significant disruption there as it applies to business travelers. And you know, the business traveler category is down about 25%. And I, I think that that's a 25% that's gone forever uh, because of work from home and just the improvements made in uh, online technology uh, so that you can avoid travel by meeting virtually. I think that that has had a permanent impact on the industry. So that has shifted the dynamic around because what's happened is global traditional airlines now um, are going to have to figure out how to make their business class cabins work on long haul routes at lower yields and less business traffic. And so I think you're going to see 
those cabins shrink uh, because the premium that you can get from leisure travelers to sit in those seats is just not going to be financially viable. I think the big thing that's going to occur for them is, is, is a significant growth of premium economy. And that is this in-between class uh, for, the, for the traditional airlines. For the LCCs, I think this, um, there's also some of this at play as well in that I think that you will see less activity in lie flat and more in a uh, better premium economy product. Uh, so th- in a way, Mikhail, your, your, your question is, is pointing towards, I think, the, the conclusion you were wondering about, and that is, is there a blur between these two categories? And of course, there's a blur, uh, and the blur is the, is the cost structure. And or, I'm sorry, not the blur, but the, the distinction is the cost structure. A low-cost carrier, by definition, has to have a low-cost structure. And that is something that many of the global network carriers just can't touch. They were able to touch it. They were able to offer premium economy fares prior to the pandemic because they had subsidy, cross-subsidization available from business travelers. That has severely weakened. So I think the global network carrier's ability to play the LCC game is going to be handicapped, uh, at least from an economic performance perspective. Airlines will always, of course, price their products where they need to, whether, regardless of whether or not they're making money. But I, I think we're going to see over the course of time, I'm not a fan of basic economy for a lot of these global network airlines. Because I think, you know, when you go to into the booking path to buy a product like this from a major global network carrier, we all come across that page, that pop-up that says, basically, this is a premium economy product. Are you sure you want to buy it? Because it has all of these problems associated with it. And then you have to click, yes, I accept these conditions. And then you move forward. I think any time that a company has to put a caveat in front of the customer that says, you know, this product is not very attractive. Are you sure you want to buy it? That should tell something to the company that that's perhaps the product they should not be selling. Mm -hmm. And so I think that these global network carriers really have to think uh, hard about whether or not they want to be telling their customers that because I think it degrades the entirety of their product when they do that. Mm-hmm. And who, in your opinion, uh, who is doing ancillaries best? Is there a specific well, airline that stands out or a group of airlines that stand out when it comes to monetizing all these extras? You know, so within the LCC category, um, I'll offer I'll, I'll offer a, a, a further split. And there are LCCs that are just great low-cost carriers. And then there are LCCs that are trying to become travel companies. And so within Europe, Jet2.com, which I think is an unbelievable powerhouse of revenue production in terms of, you know, they have, you know, I don't know if they have said it, but, you know, they are a leisure company that happens to own an airline. And I think that was the phrase that Allegiant Air used for a long time, uh, if perhaps informally. But Jet2.com has done an exceptional job of retail in terms of positioning themselves to the customer as a vacation solution company. Then you have traditional uh, LCCs. And I think I really like Ryanair and EasyJet. Um, I think Ryanair really nails uh, the online product 
in terms of online product, meaning how they retail. There is definitely a science that they take to determining how best to maximize the revenue they are able to attract from every customer. And you are publishing this report in a few weeks' time. Can you give us some advance of um, the the ancillary trends? Where are they going? What are the main the main findings that you can advance us now? With just a little nugget to um, so that we can understand better where where this post pandemic airline industry is going. Well, you're not going to get much out of me in terms of a sneak peek at the yearbook. Uh, however, there was a trend that occurred during the pandemic in which people were willing to pay a significant premium for more comfort and convenience. And that was early boarding, uh, sitting uh, in the front of the cabin, and, and, actually, and actually larger seating. So there would be some a perceived uh, greater distance between them and, and other passengers. I think that that peaked, that will have peaked during the pandemic. Uh, and so on a yield basis, I think we're going to see a decrease going forward. Overall, the answer to revenue numbers will be up because it's largely tied to uh, traffic production. But I think that there was a, a peaking of sorts for certain comfort-related a la carte products that occurred during the pandemic. And um, I saw some evidence that that, was, that that began to decrease during 2022. Mm-hmm. What is the, the king of the ancillaries? What are the ancillaries that, um, if there's any, that kind of stands out in terms of revenue, the ones that are more widely accepted by by the passengers? Well, I think that, well, in terms of acceptance, baggage is, is the king um, because people understand that when I give you something to handle, like a piece of check baggage, that there is a service associated with that. And that service obviously costs the airline money to handle the bag and to deliver it to me upon arrival. So I think that over the course of time, uh, baggage has become something that has um, been accepted. There's, I'll toss in a caveat here, and that is cabin baggage. And the airlines that, no matter what an airline does in terms of its baggage policy, people love to have their carry-ons. And people even who fly Southwest, which offers two free check bag, Southwest still has a carry-on issue. And that's just that provides evidence to me that people love their carry-ons, even when they are offered two check bag as part of their uh, as as part of any fare that Southwest offers. So baggage is something that has gained acceptance. Carry-on baggage, not so much, but I'll tell you that airlines that have that charge for large carry-ons, that have policies that monitor what happens at the gate and what people are allowed to carry on the plane, those airlines generate very attractive revenue. And quite frankly, the cabin environment is far less cluttered and the boarding process is far more, is far quicker. Reaching that point of nirvana is a difficult thing to do. Yeah, there seems to have been a a change in policy here in the last couple of years. I mean, you're seeing even... Even full-service carriers starting to be a lot more strict about these carry-ons and and charging for them. But in some cases, I even to the point it's difficult to understand the policy because I think I was checking some tickets the other day here in, in Europe uh, in a low-cost airline and some fares include the check-in, but they don't include the carry-on. I think what, what you're seeing is confusion on the airline front in terms of you know, they have policies in place that charge people for check bags. 
and they have policies in place which are intended to limit what you carry on. Enforcing those policies is really difficult. It's very difficult to do it at your hub. And it's very difficult to do it at locations across the network, some which may be handled by you and some which are handled by contractors. I was in uh, over the spring, I was at uh, whenever I passed through a, a, a low cost carrier hub, I spent some time there and I was uh, at Luton Airport in London. And I spent probably about three hours watching what was happening with the boarding process for EasyJet, Wiz, and Ryanair. And granted, things will vary by location, but I was surprised. By far, the carrier that was the most diligent and I'll, I'll say restrictive in terms of what people were allowed to take on board the plane was EasyJet. I would have guessed that they would have been the most lenient, but no, they were by far the most strict you know, and 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 the one that seemed to be the most lenient was surprisingly wins. Um, so again, I mean, that made that's a sampling of one location, uh, but it, it it demonstrates how difficult it is to implement these bag policies. One of the things that we've been hired to do is to help airlines sort out their bag issues, and oftentimes, what happens is you will have a marketing team that will be implementing a program. And very poor communication exists uh, with the operations people at the airport. Oftentimes, uh, they are actively working against each other. Uh, so that is that's one of the things that we do is we go in there and act as a diplomat to try to uh, help create a policy that everyone can support. And there's been also um, something that many airlines have been trying to crack, get a, a larger portion of the, let's say, the, the whole travel cycle revenue all the way from the the moment that the, the passenger, the traveler is starting to plan uh, the trip all the way to the post-trip experience, uh, including here everything hotels, activities, all sorts of services connected to the to the to the travel experience. Um, has any airline really managed to crack this? I know, for example, I think in Asia, airlines like Air Asia have managed a degree of success in things like the super app. But aren't we a bit far from this becoming a reality in places like the US and Europe, where the airline becomes like a, let's say, a holistic travel provider? So, I mean, coming back to Jet2.com in Europe, I think that they have achieved that. They have achieved the status of being a, a travel company, a travel retailer. Uh, yes, but, but but if I may add here something, um, Jet2 has a very a very well-defined market, which is basically yep. carrying holiday makers from specific locations in, in the UK, not necessarily London, from other parts of the UK, to some very specific points in, in the in south of Europe, in Mediterranean, Canary Islands. So it's kind of... It, it's big volume, but, but still pretty niche. But, but, but I'm thinking, yeah. But but what's interesting about what they're doing is, first off, they're contracting with hotels directly. Mm -hmm. the, the vast majority of what they're offering to their customers is contracted directly. That's unusual where an airline will contract directly with properties. Secondly, they offer a tremendous amount of support. They have, I think, they have they have a lot of staff that are in these destinations that do two things. One is they try to work with customers to sell even more services while they are at the destination. And secondly, they're there to iron out problems. So that that level of care is unique in the in in the world in terms of having staff on location working with travelers. 
In the U.S., I think the carrier that has done the best job would be Allegiant, of course. You know, again, they contract with a lot of their, their own hotels and, and car hire, and they are very much a, a leisure-oriented airline. AirAsia is an interesting, is an interesting uh, uh, carrier. They certainly are making a grand effort to become, you know, when it, whenever I read about Elon Musk and uh, what he has done with Twitter and where he wants to take Twitter as X.com in terms of being a, a super app leaning towards the financial needs of customers, I think of AirAsia because what AirAsia is attempting to do is through their, their galaxy of companies that have an affiliation with the AirAsia brand from hotels to, to food delivery to food to, to fast food, um, to insurance, banking, the loyalty program, they are attempting a widespread hug around the con all the consumer's needs. They are at a very early phase in that process. And I don't think that, that their results are very strong yet. It's interesting when you read their annual report, they, there, is, there is very little information about the airline. In it, the, all the normal statistics that you would find in an annual report are missing um, from the AirAsia annual report, and so clearly they are trying to create something very different there. I mm -hmm. I can't mark that as success yet, but they certainly are making a grand effort, and it is the most interesting effort being made in the world in that regard. Yeah, well, I think uh, quite a few airlines are trying to do this, but. Um... Someone in the industry the other day told me like, well, yeah, I mean, airlines get lots of traffic, for example, to their websites, but it's not necessarily, um, let's say, a, a repeat traffic in the sense that it's not like people are logging in every day into the airline's website for the daily needs uh, in the same way that they might do on Google or Amazon or other digital platforms that can offer all these very uh, broad range of services. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious whether any airline will eventually manage to um, yeah to get to this level to become a well, digital the, business. The, the the key here is, and this is the going to be this is the most difficult part for an airline to understand. If you want to retail to the customer, you have to retail everything to the customer. And so airline websites have officially been closed stores, meaning that they only sell the products of that airline. AirAsia has taken the approach where um, they, are, uh, they are attempting to convert their website into an OTA type platform where you can book any airline. And you can, if I were still shopping for the lowest fare, I would go to an OTA, but AirAsia every day is getting closer and closer to that. So my belief is when an airline only sells its products, the customer immediately thinks that that airline website is biased against offering the best deal regardless of the supplier and that belief extends from the airline from air travel to hotel and car hire mm -hmm. and so i think that airlines will always be will always be th th their results will be crimped when they don't become robust sellers of everything and that's going to be a big that's going to be a big jump actually weirdly enough when websites first came out, I'm guessing like in the 90s, um, for a probably a, 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 a half a year period, when you visited United and Americans website, you saw everything. 
you saw availability on everyone. Yeah. And you could book anyone. And that was because uh, they weren't able to create their own website. They're basically turning on the, G, the, the GDS display um, for their customers, which you know was obviously provided by Amadeus or Sabre, and it showed all the airlines. Mm-hmm. That's here. And, and I, I think that, that I understand why that happened. Uh, it's a natural progression, but I also think it's a natural progression uh, for airlines to, for some airlines that tr- want to become true retailers to begin to sell the products of their competitors. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was involved in an airline project, a, a new airline launch. And one of the projects was actually to, to become a retailer, um, wanted to sell a bit like a supermarket, selling all sorts of uh, products, not not just travel related. But um, yeah, but the, the difficulty was how you make that the obvious choice for the customer, because personally, I don't know if I would go to uh, an airline um to an airline website to to do shopping, you know, like no. daily shopping. So and, and and that's and that's another problem because you wouldn't go, you wouldn't naturally think of going to an airline sh- website to do general shopping. That's because you know the airline often doesn't do a very good job of being an airline mm-hmm. to begin with. And so, you know, why would yeah. you trust them with more things? And so that's another that's another challenge for the industry. So I I am not a big fan of this, like we're going to try to become everything to everyone. I I think that there are companies that are better positioned to do that, um, like a Walmart, like an Amazon. But it's interesting, those companies um, and even Google have always struggled with uh, travel retail. I think yeah. in the U.S., what we're going to see is the credit card companies, the banks owning this space. Uh, and then what I mean by that is Chase, City, and uh, Capital One, and of course Amer- American Express. I think they will become the master retailers of travel. We were talking about the airlines trying to become retailers, but we could end up with a, actually the opposite situation as well, like some digital platforms or retailers um, being a lot better than airlines at selling tickets and all the rest. Um, as you mentioned, financial financial institutions, credit card companies. Um, I was thinking, for example, Google uh, or Amazon, if they manage to kind well, of. What's, what's what's interesting about let's let's take each of those. Um, Google has never had luck selling directly to customers. They struggle with that in terms of having a a a a a, a business a B to C. B to C success, I think, eludes Google. And so Google Flights, yes, is, is it a helpful tool? Absolutely. Uh, has the company uh, maximized their presence in travel? No. And they easily could because, you know, they control the inboxes of millions of people worldwide. And, and the data that they're able to capture from that activity is immense. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, they really have never uh persevered there then the other one is amazon and travel is very much a service business and you know it's one thing to deliver products and no one delivers products globally better than amazon to its customers but in terms of a service oriented uh retail act, uh presence 
I think that Amazon would have a very difficult uh, role there. Uh, so again, you know, it's it, it's. I think it's in the U.S. at least it's going to be the banks. The banks are already well down that path uh, in terms of creating travel portals. That again, they don't care who they sell to. You know, they're a bank. They want to offer everyone uh, as a as a as a. They want to offer all suppliers under their retail uh, website. Mm-hmm. They just so, want the they, they just want the transaction. So in in terms of ancillaries, is everything invented, or do you see some scope for to introduce new new types of services or, or products that would make sense um, in in the typical airline booking path, but they are not near the level where they should be, or that hasn't they or that they haven't been introduced by by any airline yet, so far. I think everything is practically invented. I don't foresee any type of new product category coming up. The, 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 the future for the industry in terms of answer revenue is tied to two activities. One is better retailing. That is to get more people to buy more things. And connected to that is better pricing. And that is uh, creating pricing that maximizes revenue, uh, which of course may mean that the price is reduced for some customers or the price is increased for some customers. So those two areas, better retailing and better price management are the two growth areas that uh, face uh, ancillary revenue for the future. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Jay, for Welcome. your insights today. I think it's very useful and ancillaries and revenue are always a current topic in the airline industry. So we'll be waiting for the publication of okay. this report the, with data from 2022. What date is this going to be published? The, the car trawler yearbook of answer revenue will be is due out September 27th. September 27th. Correct. Okay, excellent. All right, so we'll be waiting and definitely we'll we'll have a look through to see what's the latest in ancillary revenue. In the meantime, well, wishing you all the best and yeah, thank you so much for for being here in the podcast sharing your insights. Thank you for having me on board. Before you go, and if you like this podcast, a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you are using, or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much, and see you soon. (laughs) 